Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. And after you finish this episode, please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using to listen. Are you getting tired of hearing the phrase unprecedented times yet? I couldn't blame you as it's commonly used right now while the world tries to make sense of the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. And while dealing with our confusing present, there's also an increased scrutiny on what the future will look like. To learn more about the possibilities we could encounter as a result of the pandemic, I spoke with a futurist, Dave Staley. He's an associate professor at The Ohio State University and director for both the Humanities Institute and the Center for the Humanities in Practice. He's also president of the Columbus Futurists, which he described as a foresight think tank. We discuss the impact the pandemic will have on businesses, industries that might continue to struggle, current business changes that might become permanent, and much more. We started with Dave explaining the definition of a futurist. Here's what he had to say. Well, the simplest explanation is I'm interested in the future. <laughs> right, right. But uh, I, I'm also very careful when I, when I say this because um, when, when I say futurist, people sort of assume that I make predictions. And the first thing I tell audiences is that, uh, that I, I don't make predictions. And any futurist, any serious futurist would, would, would refrain from making predictions. In fact, I say um, anybody that stands in front of you and says they can predict the future is lying to you or lying to themselves. Uh, and it's because the future isn't already formed. The future is still being formed. And so the best that, uh, that we can do as futurists is to imagine different possibilities of the future. Right, which I think is a good way to frame it, especially in our current climate. Um, I think that, you know, there's so much that can happen. It's, it seems so dependent. Things seem like they change like week by week. So it's kind mm -hmm. of hard, like you said, like to predict things that would happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because we're dealing with uh, complex systems, mm -hmm. not to get too theoretical, but the, the, most of the things, when, when we say we want to know something about the future, uh, what we're saying is we want to know what the state of some complex system is going to be. Uh, and complex systems are by definition unpredictable in large part because they can be influenced by small, uh, unpredictable changes. Um, and so uh, uh, the best, as I say, the best we can do is to imagine what are the different states or the possibilities uh, of, of such systems. And I love that you mentioned how things are kind of complex because that leads into one of the first questions I wanted to ask you mm -hmm. is the complexity of what's happening now. There's pretty much no industry, no individual who hasn't been impacted somehow by our current pandemic. What, uh, what effect is this having right now as far as on businesses? Wow. So uh, uh, immense, as you can imagine. Uh, what, what has happened and what I see uh, uh, as most likely to be occurring in the near future is uh, if your business uh, um, is, is capable of operating remotely or operating uh, over virtual networks, sort of like what we're doing right now over Zoom, 
and importantly, if your customers uh, or uh, uh, the, the, the supply chain can similarly work uh, in these sorts of networked environments, you're probably okay. Uh, if you don't meet those criteria, then it gets a little more complicated. So take, take food service, for instance, or restaurants and those sorts of things. Um, the restaurants that have been uh, okay throughout the pandemic are those that uh, either already have well-established or were quickly able to transition to delivery, uh, a delivery service model. So the, uh, the big chains uh, have been, uh, have done okay uh, throughout, uh, um, throughout the, uh, the pandemic. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a local pizza joint that, uh, that we like to go to here uh, up in Westerville. And they, uh, before the pandemic, they had a thriving um, delivery business. I mean, that was the bulk of their business. And so uh, while they've certainly been impacted by the pandemic, uh, they've, they've been able to survive. The, um, the, the, the sort of um, the trendy restaurants are having a really tough time. Uh, because their business is dependent upon people being uh, there face-to-face. -face. It's not uh, quickly uh, scalable to a delivery business, uh, and it's hard to conduct, it, uh, uh, conduct that business online. Uh, so we're, we're, we're seeing all sorts, of, all sorts of instances like that. But that, that, it's that bifurcation between can your, uh, can your business operate in virtual networks or virtual environments, uh, and if not, what challenges will you, uh, will you be facing? Right. And like you mentioned, restaurants don't always lend themselves to um, virtual uh, transactions, kind of depending on how their business is set up. Are there sp any specific industries that you see struggling right now that you think might continue to struggle in the future as we deal with this? So... Um, one industry that uh, is is already challenged, and I think will will continue to struggle, is uh, higher education. Right. Uh, the, uh, the the industry that uh, that I uh, know very well, uh, and uh, as of the recording of this podcast, uh, there are still all sorts of questions about what the re the the so called reopening in the fall looks like. So in spring semester, we uh, uh, had to very quickly transition from face-to-face -face classes to online classes over, uh, over Zoom. We essentially, uh, I, I, and I speak from personal experience, uh, the, the two-week spring break was the time we had to transition uh, all of our classes uh, into an online, uh, in online format. Uh, and I think we did pretty well, frankly. Uh, the question is, are we going to be able to sustain that going forward? Uh, the answer, I think, is yes. I think that uh, higher education can switch to an online format. But then again, it's not as simple as that. One of the things that we're, that we're seeing is that students, and again, we, th we think of students as being so tech savvy that they want to take all their classes online. Right, right. And the, and the initial surveys have suggested that you know, students maybe aren't so crazy about taking online, taking online classes. Or if they do, they may not want to take them at a place like Ohio State, uh, uh, if, they, if they could take them uh, at, a, at an institution that's, that's less expensive, let's say. Uh, there's also some evidence that uh, students are at least contemplating maybe switching to colleges and universities closer to home. 
rather than traveling to, uh, to an institution uh, uh, at some distance away, especially if they have to be in a, in a dormitory or something like that. Uh, it has, uh, uh, the, the, the pandemic has really uh, exposed, I think, some challenges that we face in higher education. That said, higher education is still very much in demand. Uh, I think that, uh, that uh, we're probably not going to see uh, a, a, a drop in enrollments, but I think we are going to see sort of a rearrangement of those enrollments. And I think that some institutions will fare better than others. There are already a number of, of especially smaller uh, private institutions that were struggling before the pandemic. Uh, I think it's entirely likely that the pandemic will push many of these institutions over the edge. And, you know, by, by, by Christmas time, by early next year, we could see a number of these institutions uh, closing shop. And you've hit on a couple different points, um, the impact on the restaurant industry, higher education, and our members, accountants, CPAs, um, are a part of pretty much every industry. They serve mm -hmm. a wide variety of clients, um, a wide variety of businesses. For those business professionals, do you have any advice for how they can be forward thinking during this time? I, I know that audit and compliance are, 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 are sort of the, 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 the big services, the most important services. But it strikes me that, uh, that, that many companies, many organizations, uh, need, require a kind of a, a, a foresight capacity uh, within their businesses. Uh, and it strikes me that, um, that, 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 that the firms that you represent could play that sort of role. Uh, we are not out of the pandemic yet. I think that, um, that we've got a little too relaxed uh, uh, in thinking that, well, you know, the worst is behind us and we can sort of get back to, to some semblance of normalcy. And I think we're going to discover that that uh, was, uh, was, was premature and that, in fact, uh, this is something we're going to be dealing with for, for some months, possibly years to come. There are some people that are talking about, you know, maybe this is a two-year uh, struggle that we're going to be dealing with. And uh, businesses, uh, organizations of all kind, uh, really are going to have to uh, rethink their business models and their, and their plans uh, for this new reality. Um, and uh, uh, they, will, they will require uh, advisors to help them through this process, to, to help them think through what it means to, to, to redesign, uh, to redesign their, their businesses, to redesign their business model, to, uh, to deal with the impact of COVID-19. And not just the impact of COVID-19, uh, what we've seen is that, um, is that the pandemic has also caused an economic calamity, unemployment being sort of, sort of chief among them. And so while they are, they're twin problems, uh, each with their own complications, we have to see them as interrelated with each other. You hear a lot right now, or I think something maybe people say to comfort themselves, which is completely understandable, is, you know, this isn't forever. Like one day this pandemic will be over, which hopefully is true and it'll be over sooner rather than later. But the things that I'm reading seem to seem to believe that the impact of this will last for a really long time and could have permanent changes to the way 
that these businesses operate. And like you mentioned, changing the business model, would you say that that might be something, you know, that's maybe not just for the pandemic, but will have, um, will need to be modified for forever, maybe for some of these businesses? There's no question. Uh, there's no question of that. And, and, and in fact, part of uh, my thinking, part of my foresight work around COVID is to look not just simply at the impact of the pandemic right now, but what are the sort of the long-term consequences, mm -hmm. especially in the way it's going to change uh, our habits and behaviors. Just to take a simple case, uh, are people still going to shake hands? Are, are we going to uh, uh, get out of that habit just because we've we, we, we just sort of assumed now that uh, that shaking hands is is, is one way to uh, uh, to uh, transmit the uh, transmit the virus? But um, I think more to the point in talking uh, about business practice, uh, just take the idea of remote work, of again the fact that that that, that you and I are doing this over. Uh, over Zoom, when ordinarily I would have come into your studios to have done right. something like this. Um, a lot of work, as I said, my teaching, for instance, went into an online environment. A lot of work transitioned to uh, these sorts of virtual networks. Telework, work from home, was not something that we invented uh, during COVID-19. Obviously, it was something that was practiced before. But more of us have had to move into this sort of environment. And I think that what a lot of companies uh, are or will discover is that their employees have been just as productive, maybe even more productive, working in these sorts of environments. And, because, uh, and so the idea is that uh, offices, as we've understand them, uh, could be a thing of the past uh, or uh, are radically altered as a result, that you're not going to need large office space uh, to manage uh, to manage your employees when uh, managing a virtual network of such employees is just as efficient uh, and in fact maybe even uh, more cost effective and that's going to have all sorts of implications for the real estate market for instance especially in a, in a city like Columbus that's something that I've read as well that um, more offices are kind of reconsidering their setup, not just in terms of for the time being as far as social distancing guidelines, but do they need that big of an office if rarely the full staff will ever be in the office and it'll be more split, which makes sense, but it's, it's things like that that make you think we're forced to kind of live in this reality now, but how will things be changed or look different, you know, three to five years from now because of what we're going through? I think that uh, we will, uh, I think just more of our daily lives, not just simply work, will be conducted online. Not all of our daily life, but I think that the, the, the sort of the ratio is going to change, the amount of time we spend online versus what we're doing in face-to-face -face environments. And uh, so work is certainly an example of that. Uh, I've already talked about schooling. I think there's, there, there's every reason to think that we will do more online schooling and that's not just simply uh, at the university level but I think at the K through 12 level as well. Uh, telemedicine. Telemedicine was again something that, that, that already existed before the pandemic but we tend to associate telemedicine with service to rural areas let's say. Uh, at, in the early stages of the pandemic my, uh, my, my son had a medical appointment that was uh, pre-scheduled long, um, long before the pandemic 
but it wasn't the sort of, of doctor's visit that required a sort of a, a physical exam or something like this. I mean, it really is, you, know, you sit in the office and you ask questions, the doctor asks questions and, and those sorts of things. In other words, the sort of thing that could very easily have been conducted uh, online. And in fact, that's what happened. They contacted us and said, well, we'll have, we'll have your, uh, uh, your doctor's visit uh, over Zoom or whatever sort of network it was. Uh, it had the advantage of not sitting in the waiting room, uh, although we did wait, as we often do. We waited 20 minutes past the, uh, the time we were, uh, we were supposed to go back. Uh, but some I think we're going to don't change. <laughs> exactly. Some things never change. Right. And, and, and one of the things that's had to happen is that insurance, for instance, uh, has to uh, has to approve those kinds of services. Mm -hmm. uh, and and during the pandemic, of course, they've uh, uh, they've made those sorts of allowances. I think we're going to see that uh, that 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 those kinds of well visits uh, are going to be conducted online uh, and not uh, not going into a doctor's office. So again, not everything in our lives is going to be online, but I think we're going to discover that uh, uh, in comparison to our lives prior to the pandemic, we're going to be spending uh, more of our lives uh, engaged uh, over virtual networks. And I would agree. And something that I've been reading as well, which um, the pandemic really brought this to the forefront because of how many things have switched to being virtually um, interactive is the importance of an internet connection. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading that as um, in relation to rural communities mm -hmm. or just people who don't have access to a computer, you know, how they're hindered by this when they can't meet people in person and they don't have an easy access to an internet connection, how that limits them. It's a, it's a huge challenge. And, uh, and as, as you indicate, it's one that many people were aware of prior to COVID-19. It's one of those, it, it's one of those uh, uh, structural uh, problems that has been laid bare because of, uh, of COVID-19. Uh, now, whether anything is done to alleviate that, I think, is, is another question. But uh, it is very much revealed uh, a lot of inequality, uh, especially when it comes to uh, access to high-speed uh, high uh, connections. And that's another thing. It's interesting that you mention kind of revealed an inequality because I think in various ways the pandemic has done that um, in a lot of different ways as far as just the communities that are mm -hmm. most affected by this, certain occupations, whether they're deemed essential or not. And it'll be interesting to see in the future, you know, how that impacts things, how we view um, people's access to certain things like internet connection, certain occupations, if they're deemed essential, and what does that really mean for them in, in times like this when there's certain people who are really needed and who can't stay at home and do their jobs virtually. You, uh, uh, you uh, bring up uh, essential workers and essential work, and that's, uh, that's something else I've been tracking. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm wondering about the future of essential workers. Uh, and it strikes me there are, there are at least sort of three possibilities there. Uh, and again, I don't make predictions, right? right. So, so what are the possibilities? So uh, uh, one of the things is, so these, uh, these folks uh, that are deemed essential now, and that's not just simply uh, sort of uh, frontline workers in the healthcare uh, sector, 
but it's also uh, people that work at Kroger's, people that are, uh, that are working uh, at Amazon. Uh, we've identified uh, these folks as essential, even as heroes. And so uh, one scenario is that, uh, that they sort of remain in that sort of role. We sort of see the value of that sort of work and, uh, and, and give, give them especially the pay that, uh, that we tend to associate with, uh, with, with sort of higher status work. Uh, and, and, and indeed, during the pandemic, there have been like Kroger employees, for instance, were given, I think, like $2 an hour raises mm -hmm. as part of this. The question is, is that going to persist? In other words, once the pandemic sort of dissipates, uh, are these workers then going to go back to being just, you know, regular kind of unseen workers that we won't think of them as essential. We won't think of them as, as heroes any longer, which is, I think, another entirely plausible scenario. There's, there's, there's another sort of, of depending on your, on your attitude toward this, maybe a troubling scenario, is that uh, we've seen uh, in, in pockets um, uh, robots being used to perform, quote unquote, essential work. So cleaning, for instance, we saw a number of grocery stores using uh, robots that use uh, sort of ultraviolet light to, uh, to uh, clean grocery shelves. That was work that's being performed by robots and not by human beings. We've seen uh, similar things like at the Pittsburgh International Airport. Uh, there's, uh, there was a hospital, I think, in China that was using robots, again, using UV light to go in and clean and disinfect rooms. Uh, there's uh, 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 a, uh, a case of a park in Singapore that's using one of the robots developed by Boston Dynamics, these sort of four-legged dog-like robots that's going around in the park uh, uh, telling people to keep uh, the six feet uh, social distance between them. So rather than having a sort of a human police officer, let's say, police social distancing, we've given that over to robots. Uh, places like Amazon were already moving toward greater and greater automation. And I wonder if the pandemic is just going to accelerate this trend that we've already seen of, mm. of quote, essential work uh, being given over to machines. There's, there's another scenario uh, that, that, that's, that's interesting in this, and that it's a, a number of these essential workers uh, have been organizing using uh, apps uh, using the internet, and have been they're not they're not full fledged unions, but it's certainly a kind of worker organization for you know a more pay for a more a more respect, uh, and some are observing a kind of uh, resurgence of worker organization or indeed union activity that we haven't seen in this country for oh gosh for decades. It's not like uh, union membership has existed say in the you know like the forties and the fifties. But uh, it's certainly uh, greater than we've seen, say, even in the last 30 or 40 years or so. And you've mentioned a couple times, David, the uh, things that you're researching, looking for impacts down the road. Is there anything um, so far in your research that you feel like people aren't really talking about right now or, or that isn't as w uh, well known as maybe some of these other points that we've hit on? Uh, it's, it's, it's not something I'm comfortable talking about uh, as an American. It's something I'm not comfortable talking about. But uh, one of the things that the pandemic has revealed is that uh, the United States is not viewed 
uh, broadly, globally, as a leader in mm. this. Whereas before the pandemic, the assumption was, well, you know, go to the United States. You know, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, the, 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 the scientific and public health infrastructure that the United States has, uh, they're the leaders. They're, uh, they're the world leaders in this. Uh, and uh, in fact, quite the opposite seems to be happening. Countries no longer, uh, are, certainly in, in, uh, in response to COVID-19, certainly aren't looking uh, uh, to the United States for leadership. And my concern is that that, that, that portends uh, a general um, reticence on the part of the rest of the world to look to the United States for leadership, which I think in the long run uh, would prove uh, very, very detrimental to this country. I hope I'm wrong about that. Uh, I really hope I'm wrong about that, but I'm, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not. <laughs> well, and I think you bring up a good point. Obviously, this is affecting the entire world, and mm -hmm. you can't help but, of course, like look to other countries and see um, how they're successful and how they're not successful, and and maybe things that would make sense here, things that wouldn't. Um, it's, it's been very interesting to see individually how each country is dealing with this. Mm -hmm. And to kind of bring it back to more of um, our members, CPAs, accountants, business professionals, are there any opportunities that you think might come out of this time, um, maybe even during this time, that uh, business professionals could focus on? Um, I think... Well, and in some ways, I'll, I'll sort of start with my own industry uh, in higher education, but I think, mm -hmm. I, I think there are a number as well. That um, there are some that are saying that, 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 that COVID-19, again, it's, it's revealed weaknesses, it's revealed uh, challenges uh, in many industries, that this might be a moment to uh, reinvent, reimagine and reinvent uh, businesses and even whole industries. Uh, for those that are um, um, willing, willing to take the risk, uh, but uh, what's the old saying that uh, you know don't waste a don't waste a crisis? Uh, I think that there are some that are seeing this as an opportunity, maybe to uh, to really engage in in significant innovation again in in not just simply in product lines, but in in businesses and in whole industries. Uh, I think this is this is certainly an opportunity in higher education. Uh, I think we could see this in lots of other industries as well. Uh, but it will, uh, it will take imaginative leadership, I think, for that to occur. And what do you think that imaginative leadership looks like? Um, it means um, challenging assumptions, challenging um, uh, the, quote, the way we've always done things. Uh, in fact, if anything, the, the COVID-19 outbreak has, uh, has laid bare the, the problems with the way we've always done things. And so imagine it, to me, imaginative leadership like that means uh, uh, being audacious, uh, ha having the audacity to imagine something different. Uh, you know, take, take the restaurant industry. Uh, it, 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 it really uh, could uh, implode. Uh, uh, unless there is a sort of a real rethinking about the business model, about the way in which uh, uh, services are delivered, the nature of the, of the supply chain. Uh, the same could be said like of the airline industry, for instance. 
Um, I think that um, that that um, that imaginative leadership here means um, being able to visualize something different, and a key way to do that is to um, uh, identify the key assumptions that undergird any sort of business or industry, and to not be afraid to uh, push back uh, or to alter in some ways some of those uh, load-bearing assumptions. Thank you to Dave for joining us to talk more about what the future looks like post-pandemic. Let me know what you thought of this episode at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O, at ohiocpa.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on your podcast app. Thanks for listening.